You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Terry Riley, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus's Talk on the Hill. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to my friends online. We're thrilled that you're here. Memorial Day weekend. Wow, some of us made it. That's awesome. You're the real spiritual ones, aren't you? I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Matthew chapter 6, pick it up in verse 5. Jesus in Matthew 6 is looking at three things, giving, giving alms, helping the poor, fasting and praying. And he says, these are wonderful things that most religious or spiritual people do, Christ followers engage in, uh, but they're good things, but they can be done for the wrong reasons. And and so that's really what this whole chapter is about until about verse uh, 21. And so he's challenging us on our motives. Now hear me, this is kind of, I just had this thought over here that as you hear these things, sometimes you can go, you know, there's always reasons why people start and quit or never start. So in talking about this last week and now talking about it again this week, it's easy to go, well, I don't know if my motives are good, so I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? People can go there. Jeremiah said it this way, the heart is more deceitful. Who can know it? And here's the truth. I don't know that we can almost do anything with pure motives. We're just people. And and as hard as I try sometimes, I I, I try not to even, I just try and evaluate it quickly because I'm one of these people that can really go deep and dive and, you know, do a roto-rooter on myself. And, what I, and in telling you this, just allow kind of your knee jerk or heart jerk reactions kind of guide you in this. Because don't let this become some kind of a statement when we start talking about the motives behind everything that you start evaluating it so much that you go, forget it. I don't even want to do it. Ask Jesus, Lord, just, just help my heart. Let it not deceive me. Let it not be deceptive. Search me. David said it this way in Psalm 139. Search me and know me. If there's any negative, evil, bad way in me, just reveal it. And and, and so, friends, I want to just kind of start you off with that today as we get into this. Uh, The passage that we're going to look at is also found in Luke chapter 11, where the disciples come to Jesus and, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. I love that. It didn't say, teach us to preach. He didn't say, teach us to lay hands on people and to heal them. He didn't say, teach us to disciple people. He didn't say, teach us to do this, teach us to do that. They, they simply said, Lord, we've seen John the Baptist teach his disciples, and he's your cousin, and he's kind of a part of you. Would, would you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus begins to talk and to share about what it is to be a kingdom person who prays for the right motives, because even in his day, a lot of people didn't. Uh, Jesus is going to give us this morning two negatives followed by a positive. And he says, don't pray like this. Don't pray like that. But pray this way. So I want us to look at it. I want us to read it this morning. And would you stand with me as I read? 
And I'm going to have you read. I'm going to have you repeat after me the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to say a stanza, and then I'm going to invite you to do it as well. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. I'll read, and then when I get to the Lord's Prayer, I'll have you do it with me. So whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Oh, I should have had you sit, huh? No. <laughs> They love standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, if you're my disciples, if you're a kingdom person, I want you to go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father, just underline this in your heart and in your Bible, if you can, and your father who sees you in secret, he will reward you. When you pray, don't dabble like the Gentiles. Don't babble like the Gentiles. Since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words, don't be like them because your father knows the things that you need before you ask them. And then Jesus says, so therefore, because of what I just said, here's how I want you to pray. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a stanza, and then I'd like for you to repeat it, please. Our Father in heaven, your name is honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, today Give us today our daily bread, our daily bread. and forgive us, our debts, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, do not bring us into temptation. but deliver us, from the evil one. deliver us from the evil one. Heavenly Father, you've heard our hearts, you've heard our prayers. We stand in this sanctuary to honor you and to reverence your name. Lord, teach us how to, how to pray. Give us a heart to pray because of the relationship we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. So I want to look at the motives of prayer because Jesus is kind of, that's the motif of chapter 6. He's talking about motives. So the first thing he says is when you pray, I want you to pray secretly. He says, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by men. Remember last week we talked about hypocrites. The word literally means uh, a play actor, uh, someone who's in the theater, someone who's on the stage and they can change their face. They can change what they do based on who's watching. And see, prayer, loved ones, is simply talking to God <laughs> and not people. We want to please him. We don't want to please others. So what's the issue? Now, we talked about this last week. Who's your audience? Who's your audience of one? Who's your audience of significance that you're living for, speaking to? Is it people or is it God? Now see, in this day, the devout Jew... He would, pray three, he would pray three times a day, or she would pray three times a day. And they would pray at 9 a.m. at noon, and then at 3 p.m. Now, wherever they were, it was common that they would stop at those times, and they would bow their heads, and they would raise their hands, and they would begin reciting some of the verses, the prayer verbiage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the, the Shema. And they would begin to... Just repeat that. 
three times a day, every day. Now, as this happens with religious stuff, well, some people started, they said, well, you know, I think I want to go a different direction this. I kind of want to show off a little bit. And so they became focused. And so they would go. And if they were out on the street corner, sometimes they would just make it a point to be out in the open or in the synagogue where people, they could stand and they could speak it out and, and they could really go after it. And so Jesus is saying, don't do it for that reason. That's not why we started this prayer thing. It's not about doing it so other people can see you. Because you know, and it happens in church today. I'm sorry, I see it all the time. Where people do things and it's all about me. See how spiritual I am. See how holy I can be. And it becomes a show. God says, no, Christ followers can be guilty of the same thing, especially Christ, uh, professional Christians like me. I mean, I, I, I've told, I think I told you this, story. I'm sure I have, I told you this story that I run with this group and um, it's men and women and it's a small group of about 10 or 12 people, but it's always funny. And I've noticed this over the years that I've been with this group, that there's this one person that prays with incredible eloquence and and the words, they just kind of flow out of their mouth. And it's just, it's, it's nice. And it's powerful and it's passionate. And so whenever there's a big problem with this group that we got to deal with or an issue or we need some you know, quick div divine guidance, it, you know who they call on to pray? And I've always kind of chuckled inside. I know it's being kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm making an assessment. I'm not being judgmental because I don't care. I love listening to the person pray. But it's funny because even, even in these, you know, Christian leaders, we can fall into that and we can think, oh boy, this is a big deal. I got to have Joe Schmo or Sally Sue pray because whoo, they bring the power. Don't think like that. Don't think like that. I'm sorry, but that's, I'm not going to say, I'm going to say, that's why a lot of people on TV make a lot, a lot, a lot of money is because we think they have a hotline or a red phone to God. And I'm sorry, that's not true. When I was in Bible college at the preacher factory, I had to take this class. It was one hour and I had to take it my freshman year because they wanted to teach us. It was called spiritual growth. It was uh, uh, one of the, the instructors was a, a wonderful, wonderful Catholic man an instructor and had his doctorate and very, uh, very educated and intellectual and I had just become a Christian about ah, two years earlier. And so I was kind of used to the, you know, kind of the Jesus movement and everything is just, wow, man, it's kind of casual and fun and, you know, easygoing. It's not real liturgical and all this. But in his class, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a pastoral prayer to be able to read before the congregation. And I thought, this is the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> you know, I mean, I thought nobody writes a prayer to God. Oh, that's not true. I was so new in the faith. I didn't realize all the prayers of the Puritans and the Episcopal, all these people that had written their prayers through history. But I, I, I said, okay, God, I'm going to do this really well. So I began to write my prayer out and I give it to Brother Paul. <laughs> I mean, I just, I poured my heart out because I was, I was still a pretty young Christian, didn't know much. And I wrote it out and I got it back. And I thought, not only is this a dumb 
idea, but it's really stupid what I got to see. You know, I mean, it's like, because I'm thinking here I am, I'm trying to write this prayer. I'm, I'm just rendering my heart to God and I get a C. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? What kind of deal is, what kind of deal is this? Well, don't raise your head, but I'm sure there's some of us in this room that feel the same way, that we have a hard time. Pastors and preachers and professional Christians and all those aren't, aren't, can be guilty of this, but we're not the only ones that pray for the wrong audience. Have you ever been afraid to pray out loud? Not because of what God thinks, but because of what the people around you will think. Here's the fear, isn't it? Oh, they're not going to grade me, but what if they started thinking, oh, C, oh, D, oh, let's, let's drop, let's give him an F or her an F. And then, and then you're talking and you're praying and you're going, God, but I, uh, hmm, I can't remember what I was going to, you know, and all of a sudden you just feel stupid. Anybody, don't raise your hand, but did anybody feel that way? Here's the deal. You're not praying to those people. And, and, and that, that inhibits our prayer life friends, praying around others. Don't let that happen. Be bold. Be strong. You're praying to God Almighty, and he is not judging your prayer. Jesus said it this way then. He says, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. So then your father who sees what is done in secret, he's going to reward you. Now, a lot of us, you know, we kind of, we get really spiritual. We say, oh, no, there's no rewards. I don't want to, re- oh, don't, blah, blah. listen, God says in so many places, and I think he said it three or four times already in the Sermon on the Mount, the talk on the hill, he keeps using this word, and your father will reward you. See, there's a reward for what we do because God gives us responsibility. And it isn't quid pro quo, but you know, sometimes when we do something, isn't it nice just to have someone say, well done. And God says, I'm going to give you rewards here on earth. I don't know what they are. I just know they're always good. And I want you to understand that, that when you do these things, God says, I want to reward you for doing what I ask. But why does God, why does Jesus say, so do this in the privacy of your own room, an inner room. Well, I think that uh, first and foremost, prayer is first to be private communication with God. Jesus tells us to go into our room alone and talk with God. Here's the question. Do you take some time each day to get alone with God and to talk to him? Ask him to guide you? Ask him to give you his thoughts, because I believe this will probably be some of the most important time of your day where you just carve out and take a minute or two or five or ten. And you just say, God, here I am. I want to speak to you. Most importantly, I want to hear from you. I think it was Martin Luther who said that people were amazed They said, how can you afford to spend four hours of your day in prayer? You know what he said? He said, how can I afford not to? Now, I'm not talking about four hours. Don't don't go crazy here. But but, but there's this time, loved ones, do we set aside time 
each day just to be with the Father. Another practical point, he says, close the door. Why is that? Well, I think it's really practical, practical because this ensures a minimum amount of distraction. When you're trying to pray, do you ever hear other voices? Do you ever hear other people? Do you ever hear your kids? Do you ever hear your dogs, your birds, your phone? I mean, you can just name the distraction, and pretty soon, you're no longer praying. I think that's why Jesus says, find a quiet place where there will not be distractions, because that will what ultimately will detract you from being able to pray to your Father in heaven. And then he says, find this place. I, I, think that, I think it's important because prayer really is kind of a sacred thing, loved ones, is that we find this place because it can begin to have this position and place in our hearts and our lives. And I don't mean an idol, but it's like when I go there, I'm doing kingdom business. I, I see a lot of people when, <clears throat> when they get bad news, when there's a national calamity, They'll email, they'll, they'll call me, or they'll just show up and they go, is the sanctuary open? Why is that? Nobody has to, but some people just feel like when they come in here, there's this sense almost of a Sunday morning moment where they've experienced God here and they say, you know something, I think I want to come in here and just in the quietness sense God's presence. You can have a place like that in your home. It can be an office. It can be a study. It can be the laundry room. It can be a kitchen nook. But I think Jesus says this is because he says, I want you to come unfettered, undistracted, to just spend a few minutes with me. Have a God spot. Find a God spot. Now, is Jesus prohibiting public prayer here? No, 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 not at all. Uh, Jesus prayed in public, and such prayer is encouraged in so many other passages throughout the New Testament and Old Testament. But what Jesus is prohibiting here is praying for the wrong audience. Just like last week we talked about, don't give to the wrong audience or give for the applause of the wrong audience. Don't give, don't pray to impress other people where you're more concerned about how your words sound to people than how your heart is before your Lord. That's what he's saying. There's power in praying with other Christ followers, but also learn to pray with others, but make sure you're praying on your own. Secondly, when you pray, pray sincerely. Uh, verses seven through eight. Jesus says this, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the Gentiles, piling up meaningless words and phrases. Oh, I've been so guilty of that. For they think that that will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need even before you ask him. Don't you love that? God knows. So Jesus, he, he, he focused here, he says, the hypocrites. Last week we said, again, play actor, the stage people. He says, they pray, the hypocrites pray to be seen by men. Uh, the pagans or the Gentiles, anybody that wasn't Jew, they said when they pray all of these words, it's because they want to wrestle a favor from a reluctant God. Don't do that. It's as if they imagine that God is this reluctant, tight-fisted 
deity with his blessings. So their plan is to simply overwhelm him <clears throat> with their words and wearing him out with their requests and their verbiage. If we just keep talking, if we keep asking, if we keep screaming, if we do whatever cantations we get into, maybe God will relent. And he'll just go, okay, you got it. I mean, how many of us as parents have seen this <clears throat> same mentality in your children? They ask you for something at the grocery store. As soon as they walk in, they show it to you. You tell them to put it back. And so the whole time, what have they learned to do to ask, to beg, to grab, to I want, I want, will you give me? And they follow you around like these little, you know, <clears throat> gerbils on your heels, you know, and, it's, and they just keep asking. See, people have that kind of idea that that's what we're supposed to do with God. Again, Jesus says, no, no, don't see God as this reluctant deity, but see him as the one who knows your needs. He, you, you don't have to persuade him. Jesus says that my father knows. He's not reluctant. He doesn't need to be persuaded. Someone said it well. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. God knows. God cares. God is willing. Let those truths seep deeply into the crevices of your soul so that when you go before God, you don't feel like you've got to earn, you've got to take, you've got to grab, you've got to coerce, you've got to convince him with your words. Because see, the religious see prayer this way. It's this way. Now, it's a habit to get God to move on my behalf, to do this thing for me. And if I talk long enough and pray long enough and hard enough, he'll do it. Well, let me ask you this question. How long is long enough and how hard is hard enough? What is the best way to do it? What is the formula? What are the right words? Religion says that you can barter with God, that you can coerce God, twist his arm into submission. That's religion. That's paganism, where you do the right things in the right way for the right time. That's when this God, small g, will respond. But Jesus says that's not true. He invites us, as we're going to see next week, into this relational type of prayer. And relational prayer is a lifestyle. Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Well, you do it out of delight, not duty. With technology, it might be a little bit easier to understand this, it's, uh, this concept. Uh, you may not call your friends or your family out of duty, uh, but if something good or bad or unusual happens to you, what do we do nowadays? We stop, we text, we Instagram, we Facebook. We send an email. We can do all of these things, Instagram. And we can get the information and the message to them in seconds. Why? Because we want to stay in touch with them. We want to update them. We want to share our life with them. That's how we do it, friends, with Jesus. We just go through the day. If we start our morning saying, Jesus, today, I'm just going to kind of tune my heart toward heaven. I want to hear your voice when you speak. And don't you do this? Don't you go through your day all the time or oftentimes and just say, Lord, man, I'm going into this meeting or Lord, I got to deal with this thing with my child or Lord, I've got this going on. And you just say a brief prayer. 
And, and don't you at those times kind of listen? Kind of see if maybe the Lord's speaking to your spirit and deposit something that is of God? See, that's how you pray without ceasing. It's just this relational thing that happens throughout the day where we begin to think or something we're facing and we just pray to him. See, prayer, friends, is a dialogue with Jesus, not simply a monologue to Jesus. And that's when it becomes redundant. That's when it becomes boring and it becomes difficult because all we're doing is this monologue. But Jesus wants to speak to you as much as you want to speak to him, probably more. That's the relational focus in our communication. The old timers here. I'm not quite there yet. But the old timers remember the refrain from the hymn in the garden. Remember that? It's a great reminder of Jesus in our lives day in and day out. And it says, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy that we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. What a great reminder. See, some see Jesus as forgetting any prayer repetition here. When he says, don't babble, don't go on and on, don't pile up your words. Some people say, you know what? Just ask once and no more. God heard you, drop it. He knows. Well, he does. But I don't think that's the point. If you read Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus was in the garden, remember, he said a couple of times, Father, if it be your will, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass. Oh, but your will be done. See, the point isn't repetition. The point is meaningless repetition because in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is going to say, or he said in Matthew seven, verse seven, he says, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on looking. And it's in the context of prayer. Say, I often pray the same things over and over to persuade God. Uh, No, Uh, but it's to keep my focus on him for what I need. It's to keep my focus on him for where I'm going as my protector, my provider, so that I align with him and his heart. And I begin, when I know that I've said these things, I can begin to experience the peace of God for my situation. See, praying the same things is not forbidden. Forbidden. It's simply the meaningless repetition that people can get into. It's this perfunctory repetition of a memorized prayer. Maybe it's saying grace over meals. Thank you for this food. Amen. Uh, I'm again on this thing where I'm trying to say my... Uh, We don't have to pray for the mission there. All it ever says is that Jesus gave thanks for the food. But I do try and say something just a little bit different now when I'm praying for my food. God, thank you for this food and my wife. Amen. Or thank you, God, for my food and something. I just try and mix it up a little so that I have to put my mind into it. And it isn't just a meaningless phrase that I've learned to say. How about going to bed? You know, you can say, now I lay me down to sleep. Actually, I don't want to say that prayer. It's kind of scary. Um, <clears throat> but you know what I mean? I used to have to say that with my grandmother every night. And at the time, I just said it. And then I learned after I'd become a Christian, I go, wow, I'm, if I die before I wake, 
Lord forbid, you know? And uh, so, so when, you're, when you're praying, pray with some intentionality, put some thought into it. Repetition is not bad. Do you think, I've been married to my bride for 43 years. Do you think that she really ever gets tired of hearing me say, I love you. I'm so glad that I chose you. You're my wife. Thank you for being such a great wife. Do you think she ever gets tired of hearing that, even if it's the same thing? No, she never gets tired of it. Here's the only thing. She would be tired of it. She wouldn't even be tired of it. She would be upset about it if I said it with just kind of a passing, yeah, whatever, you know? That wouldn't make her happy at all if I didn't have any passion, purpose, and meaning behind those words that I speak. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you're praying to the Father, don't just start building up these sayings, these trite sayings that you've learned. And now you repeat them and they have no depth of meaning. So what's the method of prayer? Well, first of all, when you pray, pray specifically. And next week, we're going to talk about those specifics of prayer. But Jesus, in, in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, he, when he's introducing this, when the disciples have said, Jesus teaches to pray, he says, when you pray, say this. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with repeating this. This is a prayer that we can say and repeat it, but we do it meaningfully. It's possible to repeat the Lord's Prayer and it become meaningless repetition. But Jesus never intended for that. I mean, this is the most well-known prayer in the whole world. We pray it at the high functions. Sometimes we'll pray it together like we did this morning or we'll pray it or recite it or whatever. Here's the key. Take a moment. It's kind of like our national anthem when you're at a ball game. You know, you can sit there and leave your cap on and go, oh, say, can you see what's the next words I know, you know? And it becomes meaningless. There's no national, there's no patriotism to it. It's the same way with the Lord's Prayer where you just Go through it instead of saying, our Father who art in heaven, I reverence you. I, I want to worship you, Heavenly Father, because you're in heaven. You oversee all that I'm doing in this world. And for that, God, I worship you. Now, um, that's the idea that Jesus wants us to see. But this is a prayer to say. It's been prayed all over the world. It's the same prayer that Jesus prayed that we pray 2,000 years later. It's universally familiar, generally. One of my favorite stories is Chicago Bears players, uh, those football players, those of you who've been around for a while, you'll remember Jim McMahon, who is the quarterback of the 85 Bears that won the Super Bowl, and William the Fridge Refrigerator uh, Perry, big guy, 340 pounds, and they were good friends on this team, just a behemoth of a man. They're sitting in a chapel during one of the playoff games, and they're talking back and forth about prayer. And um, I don't know that either one of them were Christians, but they're talking about it in this little chapel time, <clears throat> and they're kind of arguing about it. And so Jim McMahon, the quarterback, turns to William the Fridge, and he says, hey, listen, I'll give you 100 bucks if you can recite the Lord's Prayer. And then Fridge goes, are you kidding me? I can do that. Well, do it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, <laughs> Lord, my soul to keep. 
Jim McMahon gets up, goes to his locker, grabs $100, comes over and gives it to the fridge and says, I didn't know you knew that. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's generally universally known. <laughs> I love that. How do children learn to talk? Well, by hearing the same words over and over, repetition, they finally learn and they, what they mean. And then they learn how to say them. That's how I learned to pray. I went to Bible college, I told you, just about a year and a half after I'd become a Christ follower. So I didn't know a lot of churchianity stuff or, you know, I didn't know the, I didn't know the Christianese and I didn't know all that. So I had to go to a church and I just had to watch and listen to people pray, listen to people pray in chapel. And that's kind of how I learned to pray. And then as I got more into the word, I started to see what Jesus said. And I began to understand that his prayer that he gives, the Lord's prayer, is kind of like a skeleton that you can begin to frame and hang your prayers on. And that's what we're going to look at next week. So not only is it a prayer to say, but it's also this great prayer. It's an example of prayer. That Jesus says, this is how you should pray. That three quick lessons that I get from the Lord's prayer is number one, prayer is simple. Think about it. What do we do? We teach our children in Sunday school. Hopefully, maybe you teach them at home to memorize this prayer because it becomes the framework for just about any prayer anybody can pray. A child can learn it. It's profound, but incredibly complex. The sentences are short. The ideas are simple and straightforward. A child can do it. But we as adults, we as preachers, we make everything so complex that even most adults now find it intimidating. Prayer is, hear me, loved ones, prayer is simply a child talking to the Father. You hear it at home, I hear it at home from our kids. Like when the kids are young, or maybe even teenagers, you know, one of them might say, hey man, can we have pizza for dinner tonight? Pretty simple. Your child didn't come up to you and go, oh gracious earthly father who has bestowed upon us incredible blessings of food and drink and warmth and home. I beseech you in the name of our heavenly father that you would provide us with the most wonderful pepperoni pizza. You know, and they go on and on. Our kids don't do that, do they? Now, now hear me, I got I to gotta add this because someone's going to think I'm being flippant with the Heavenly Father. I'm not. We're going to talk about the reverence next week. Jesus is talking about saying words that don't mean anything to you or to him or you're doing it for show. Instead of just keeping it simple. Because that's why so many people don't want to pray. It's because they hear people that are so eloquent and so smooth and use such big words and thou's and those and King James and all of that. They don't want to do it because they think, oh, God only hears those other things. 
See, prayer's essence, loved ones, don't forget this, is a child talking to his father. If you find it difficult and intimidating, you've made it much more than what Jesus makes his prayer here. So prayer's simple. Prayer is brief. <laughs> One of the outstanding features of this Lord's Prayer is its brevity. Did you know, go, go, go time yourself today. You can do it in probably 30 seconds. That's just with a, a, a monitored, regimented reading. Contrast to the endless multiplying of words, Jesus just simply says, pray this way. Now hear me, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray a lengthy prayer but it's just not necessarily required. That's what he's telling his disciples in Luke and in Matthew. Well, what about that one in Luke? When Jesus is in the garden and he says, couldn't you pray with me one hour? Jesus is just getting ready to die. He knows what's coming. It isn't like it's going to be a surprise. And I wonder what's going to happen. He knows he's going to die the most difficult death on the cross, the most painful way to be executed the man has ever come up with. And so he gets his brain trust and he just says, hey, guys, could you just come around and could we just pray? Well, they start snoozing. And then he kind of, I think out of frustration, it isn't like he said, okay, we're all going to go pray for an hour. But I think that he was probably praying for an hour. And then he comes back and says, guys, it's just an hour. Couldn't you join me? But here's the deal. So what do we do as Christ followers? We try and set up a theology of praying for an hour. Where that's the only time it's ever really talked about a time. See, it's not the time, it's the heart and the focus. Uh, too many people believe that longer prayers are more spiritual and effective with God, but such thinking comes from an idea that God is a reluctant deity rather than a generous and giving Father. Why would you want to take 60 minutes when you can do it in 10? Now, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have a problem with praying a long time. I do sometimes. And I don't discourage you from doing it. But some of you don't pray possibly because you think you have to do it for a long time. Start just talking to your father. Five minutes, ten minutes. Otherwise, you start moving into paganism, believing you can affect God with a long prayer. I mean, let me just give you two examples of prayers in the Bible that are pretty short. Uh, the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18, the whole chapter is about him taking on the prophets of Baal. These would have been like 450 preachers of the religion of the cult Baal. And so he's tired of them promoting their stuff and God's people following him. So he goes up on Mount Carmel and he says, we're going we're gonna to duke this out, man. It's going to be like a spiritual showdown on the OK Corral. So he goes up there and he challenges them and he says, OK, you call on your God. As a matter of fact, we're going to make these altars and we're going to have sacrifices on them. You call on your God, to, your God's small G to call down fire from heaven. I'm going to call on mine. So they start in the morning to get these things set up and these prophets of Baal, they start calling on their gods, little G. By noon, they hear nothing. 
It's crickets. So what do they do? They start getting louder. They start getting more animated. They start getting more intense, more passionate. Does that sound like anything you've ever seen? It's kind of what we do. And then what does it say? It says they actually, they said, okay, we're going to go, man, we're going to go to the, this is what we always do when we really need something. So they start cutting themselves. I love the Living Bible because it says, and while they were doing this, words to this effect, Elijah was in the bathroom, you know, taking a little bathroom break. And, um, I mean, it's like it was just kind of this nonchalant. And then all of a sudden, he shows up, and he goes, what are you guys doing? Oh, nothing yet, huh? So this is what he does. It's in verses 36 and 37 of 1 Kings 18. He says this word, he says this prayer of 62 words. Fire comes down from heaven. He hadn't been doing that all day. And it says, okay, oh Lord, I call upon you, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Blah, blah, blah. Would you prove yourself so I can prove you to these people? I love that. Remember Peter? Matthew chapter 14, he's in the boat. Jesus comes walking on the water. They're fearful, but Peter has this great spiritual moment. And he says, man, we're going to drown. But Lord, if it's you, call me out. Jesus calls him out. He jumps over. He starts walking on the water. The waves and the water and the wind hit him in the face. And he goes, oh my goodness, this is not good. So I think I better do something. And he starts looking at the waves and kind of lose the sight of Jesus. He goes down, glub, glub, glub. And what does he say? Very simply, Lord, save me. And the scripture says immediately Jesus saved him. That is one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. And it worked. Now, again, I'm not trying to talk you into having short prayers. I'm trying to help you see that it isn't the amount of verbiage that we speak. Talk to God as you would anyone else whom you deeply love and most respect. God is not impressed with our verbiage, but with our heart. And prayer is natural. Jesus' prayer has these rhythms of natural, normal speech to it. So often, we have a special prayer vocabulary, a special prayer voice with special prayer inflections. Have you ever seen that? Heard that? And, uh, and the Lord uh, said, uh, we're going to give up. Uh, no, no, I'm not trying to make fun of it, but, you know, or all of a sudden we just, we get really loud and we start adding all of these words. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm not, but I'm, I'm saying we don't have to change. Prayer is meant to be natural. I don't care if you pray in King James language. I don't think God cares. But you don't have to. You've got to realize you're talking to this holy God who loves you. Jesus didn't talk to his heavenly father like most of us talk to our heavenly father in our prayers. His disciples didn't either. And he taught them to talk to Father God like to your father or your friend. And again, why is this important? Because a lot of millions of people are just so afraid to pray out loud because they're afraid that they won't do it the right way. I hope you're not there. I hope that's not you. Let me close with this. Here's the powerful part of prayer. Jesus said to them, therefore you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. We'll talk about that next week, but here's what I want to close with today. Our Father in heaven. 
September 5th, 1983, there was a phone call and the person on the other line said to me, do you want a boy that's eight pounds and eight ounces? Would you like to adopt him? He's in South Dakota. He was born yesterday. We, Trina and I were stunned, floored, overcome with joy. We'd been trying for a few years to have a baby, and now we'd been on this quest to adopt for two more years. And all of a sudden, I get this call that says, I'm going to be a father. Yeah, we'll do it. Fast forward eight months. And this happened with both of our adopted sons. We stood before a judge to finalize the legal process of bringing this boy into our family. We're standing before this judge in his court, and he says, well, it's obvious you love him, and it's obvious that you feed him well. <laughs> uh, we, we started calling him, and even to this day, in some ways, the incredible bulk. And... Um, <laughs> So, uh, uh, but, but the judge then said, you know something, I got a few questions for you. I said, okay, fire. He said, will you provide for this boy and protect him all of his life? Secondly, will you make sure and take care of his education to the best of your ability? And thirdly, will you make, sure, make him an heir in your family even if you're able to have your own children? I thought, are you kidding me? This kid is going to be taken care of henceforth and forevermore. Uh, just a little King James language there, so you're impressed, you know. <laughs> but I, th I had thoughts like that. What, what kind of crazy questions are those? But I was standing before a judge, so I said, yes, your honor. Uh, his mother and I will do everything and anything that he needs. And we did. We did everything that we could and more. Why do I tell you that? Because when I pray, and when we talk about this next week, I, I think of the paternity of prayer. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen. so if sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We have heavenly Father loved ones that will give his best. There'll be no bait and switch. There's no dark side to God. This is what James 1.16 says. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow. There's no dark side. This is important because some of us have ha not had good fathers. And some of us have been taught things about Father God that can be very hindering to us being willing to approach him with reverence, reverence and respect and love. See, here's the kicker when I pray. I realize I am adopted by my heavenly father. I know how I felt when I got the phone call. I know how I felt when I stood before this judge and he asked me these questions and I said, stop, you don't have to, my kid's going to get anything and everything. And I'm a sinful man, sinful father. Romans 8, 15 and 17 says, So 
You've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Hear me, loved ones. When you step into a relationship with Jesus, guess what? You have stepped in to a relationship with the greatest father. And now we get to call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins us with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs, his heirs. Abba is an enduring term meaning daddy or papa. We come with incredible depths of reverence. But we don't have to say, oh, gracious God in heaven, who art the greatest in, you know, you can just say, God, I come humbly because you're God, but you're my father. And I'm so thankful that I get to tap into that. My sons were not born of my blood, but they were birthed in our hearts. We're brought to our heavenly father through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Isaiah 49, 16 says that when we step into that relationship with Jesus, we are literally inscribed on Christ's hands where the marks of the nails to the cross went. The most precious place. That's what our father says. You've been inscribed on my son's hands. We're part of the family. Let me ask you today, do you have fears? Do you need provision? Are you concerned about this present world? Do you wonder about your future? Are you lonely? Do you need someone just to care for you for maybe a few minutes, someone to listen to you? I'm so thankful that while our father, my father, your heavenly father resides in heaven, he is at work and overseeing your life in this world. This is what I know. He's a good, good father. And that's all I need to know because that's the one that I pray for. Would you stand with me? I know I went over, but I want to do something as we close that I think is so important. It's so easy to talk about prayer and then not pray. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, let's pray. Okay, yeah, good, good. But uh, yesterday I was just talking to a couple of, uh, one friend, and I found out that he's going to be, um, has to go through some tests for cancer. And then he's got a best friend who's also a friend of mine who was just diagnosed with cancer. They don't, they're not Creeksiders, but they're friends of mine that I've kind of grown up with since Bible college days. There's people in our congregation right now that are faced with some serious diagnosis. Um, and I wouldn't say without asking them, but uh, there's just a lot of people, some of you, I just read a number of things. Do you have fears about our nation, about our world? Do you have fears about your health? Coming tests, diagnosis. 
you have a stray child? Do you have someone that is, do you have a child that's going somewhere, not doing what they need to be doing, and you're just concerned because they're spiraling out of control? Do you have a financial need? Here's what I want to remind you. Our Father who art in heaven, your name is above every other name. Your name is above everything that we face. And from heaven, that which you face is so small from heaven, but yet it looms so large on the Father's heart. So as we stand here, uh, I just want to invite you to come and be prayed for this morning. There's nothing overly spiritual. There's nothing magical. There's nothing whatever word you want to use about coming up here other than Jesus always gave people something to do when they wanted to move forward spiritually. Go wash in that pool. Go put, I'm going to put mud on your eye. I want you to go get the food from the baby, from the kids, from whatever. There was always an action step that Jesus called people to. Why? Because he wanted to see their faith and he wanted to activate their faith. Maybe you got a big decision coming. Let's not be timid or afraid, but I want to invite you to come forward and we're just going to spend a minute or two just praying over you. We're not going to embarrass you or anything, but would you just come forward as we sing? And uh, we want to pray for you this morning. So just come on down and uh, we're going to pray with you. And in just a moment, as these people come, don't, don't wait, don't be shy, don't be afraid. This is, this is God time. This is God moments going to pray together and as soon as we get everybody up here I want I want you to I want some of you to be the church and come and just stand with these people to pray with them okay I want you to just put your hand on their shoulder keep your distance you know a little bit but uh, but 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 let's let's be the church we got people up here now anybody else just come we're not going to make this a big um, we're just we're going to say God we're going to pray Anybody else? The rest, some of you, would you come and just see some of these people that just need to be prayed for? Would you come and stand with them and just put your arm, your, your hand on their shoulder? Let them know that people are with them, standing with them, believing for them. Now I want you just to, you don't need to know what... Uh, they need what their need is, but just begin to pray in Jesus' name that God, you'd guide them, watch over them, protect them, heal them, touch them, minister to them, be with them, whatever. Just begin to pray some of those things that you know could apply to the people around you. Let's pray. Some of us, if you feel comfortable back there, just raise your hands and put your hands toward them and pray as I pray. Let's pray toward and with and for these people. God, I thank you today that we have a heavenly father who says, I'm gonna gonna pay the load. I'm gonna pay the price. I'm gonna be your protector, your provider, your healer, your God, your soon coming king, the one you face in heaven. And I come today to let you know that I am with you. Uh, Just come as you are in the reality of who you are. 
you're the son and the daughter that I've, that's been inscribed on my son's hand through his life, his death and his resurrection. And I bring that same power to you today to heal you, to provide for you, to touch you, to minister to you. If you're online today, I encourage you, bow your head, stand up, do something, make a, do something to move toward the Father. And so today, Lord, we come in simplicity of voice and verbiage. And we invite you into our situation. You know about it. There's things I know about my kids, but I wait for them to ask. So, Lord, we ask you today, come, be part of our lives. Be part of our mess. Be part of our pain. Be part of our brokenness. Be part of our disease. Oh, Jesus, be a part of our healing. So, Lord, I just stand over these people now and I speak life. I speak grace. I speak every good and perfect thing that comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow or shifting. So touch, heal, provide, protect, minister to these people, I ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.